When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we are joined by a very special guest host. She is Amay Lutkin, the author of The Lonely Hunter, How Our Search for Love is Broken, and friend of Elise, FOA. Yes. Whoa, that's a really <laughs> big outside. intro. Oh, my God. Friend of Elise. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know the people who we're interviewing, but I know you. And, and I've earned that. <laughs> FOA is in, in my spaces. FOA is in my lexicon because when I worked at the Huffington Post, like we, an FOA was a friend of Ariana, and so if somebody was an FOA, it was like this means you pay very close attention. So I don't wield FOA. Like, okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. With that context, I really am taking it to heart. Thank you. <laughs> So today we have like our normal episode. Uh, Amay is just going to be a co-host with us and we'll chat through everything. But we also wanted to work in some discussion of the amazing themes of her amazing book and kind of the systemic ways that our society can discriminate against and stigmatize single people. And I know this will definitely be of interest to our audience. Uh, but first, I thought, let's let's talk about weddings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll cancel out the single talk. And I we got a wedding story today. So one of Joe Biden's granddaughters, Naomi Biden, will have her wedding reception at the White House on November 19th. This is about a week and change after the midterms, which I know because I couldn't decide whether to schedule mine for before or after. I went with before because I thought I'd be too depressed after. So I wonder what the vibe will be like November 19th in the White House. Uh, I remember once having a show I was putting up and it was like on a night when Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were having a debate and the vibe in the audience was so bad (laughs) watching this comedy (laughs) show and everyone's like thinking about it. I think it was like where Nasty Woman came out over something. Oh no, he he was just like stalking her from behind. Yes, the shark night. (laughs) Yes, the one where he was looming. Um, Yeah, I, well, I, I remember a big thing for me when like Danny and I put or had our set our wedding date for 2021 is I was like I wonder who will be the president yeah. for my wedding that was like a big thing <laughs> and I'm I'm happy that it's not Donald Trump thrilled yeah, yeah that definitely made it better it definitely made yeah your I didn't really better. think about did I think about who the president was on, on my wedding day not really yeah but um I'm glad it wasn't Donald Trump <laughs> 
Yeah. Precisely. It meant that the, you know, four hour, four to five hour duration was like more safe generally. The world was <laughs> yes, a safer exactly. place. I didn't have to look at my phone. Less likely of like a nuclear hit in Brooklyn. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I didn't have to look on your phone. So more about more background about this. Naomi is one of Hunter Biden's daughters. She's twenty eight and their oldest granddaughter. So I think she's the first grandchild to marry, which is like an anointed position in a big family. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's already a lawyer, but her fiance is four years younger than her. He is not a lawyer yet. So she is definitely slaying the game there. These receptions are, they're not super common, but they happen somewhat frequently. The last one was in 2008 for Jenna Bush Hager. One of Nixon's daughters had her wedding ceremony on the White House lawn. Altogether, nine children of American presidents and one president himself, Grover Cleveland, have wed at the White House. Now, I tried to find today, like, if taxpayers will be responsible for any of this, because that was my first thought. I'm like, oh, cute, that'll be a chic as hell wedding, but like, are we paying for this? I couldn't find anything, but I'm sure there's like some associated costs, right? Like, there's gotta be like more security, but I mean, given how much like Donald Trump enriched himself by making Secret Service stay stay at his golf resorts, I'm not too concerned. Um, Yeah, I'm not one of those people who gets super wound up about taxpayer money, about that kind of thing. I guess I'm more upset about taxpayer money going to build like a new jet to kill civilians somewhere. Like (laughs) that upsets me. (laughs) Like if you're buying extra cupcakes for the wedding table, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. That's nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm again, like, like you said, I'm sure that if you dig into it, it's like, well, all the lights have to be on over here. So like, (laughs) like, like, I'm sure that we are paying for it in some way. But I also do feel like, I don't know. I don't mind if one of the perks of being president is that, like, your grandkid can, like, get married on the lawn. Yeah. That doesn't really... As long as it's not, like, some absurdly lavish, like, thing that we are paying for 100%, I'm like, whatever. And also, like, yeah, I mean, not to just always harken back to Trump, but, like, he had campaign (laughs) events there. Like, that's, that's like, majorly not allowed at all. also, there's a precedent. They've done it before. Um, One thought I did have reading this, I don't think it's, like, a huge age gap, but apparently they were set up by friends when he was 20 and she was 24, and I just can't imagine making that decision as a friend to be like, (laughs) you're in your mid-20s, you should date this 20-year-old. I think they did it Maybe he's really, maybe he's, like, really lovely, and they're like, he's actually, like, He's the only 20-year-old man who's, like, older for his age. He's, yeah. like, really mature. <laughs> the only one on the planet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just loved reading it because it's like, she's 28 and an attorney. He's still working on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Sammy, Sammy's husband is, I think, four years younger than her. So kindred spirits. Huh. It happens. It, can, it, it happens. It happens. It happens. And, I mean, it happens the opposite way, like, of all, all the, the time. time. And Constantly. All That's the, time. the norm. I think a lot of younger men are attracted to older women, but there's just kind of this like taboo around it where it's like embarrassing or something to age as a woman. So you don't want yeah. to be attached to a woman who's aging. <laughs> it's yeah. really messed up. I mean, Emmanuel Macron is the king of, of marrying up. His like, isn't his gorgeous wife like 15 to 20 years old? I think she was his teacher. Yeah, I was like, actually, I was like, Amanda, um, I'm actually going to let you know that she was his teacher. (laughs) Okay, so there's got to be another way. I like, I like Naomi Biden's way better. Mm -hmm, Yeah, Yeah, Naomi Biden's way seems normal that they would (laughs) be in sort of the same social circle. Mutual setup. Mutual setup. I mean, to stay on the topic, if the White House was available to you for free as a receptionist, option would you take it it's giving museum wedding vibes to me which is not my favorite I feel if a free sorry I was just gonna say immediately as someone who's still paying off debt from her wedding if a free like venue reception option was open to me I would be taking that option 
So maybe that's why yes. she's doing it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, very- um, it's complicated because I think there has been a lot more discussion about where it's appropriate to have a wedding reception. You know, in yeah. terms of our historical mm-hmm. context of the United States, it's like it's giving me plantation vibes. Like I don't want to have a wedding in this like yeah, imperialist yeah, yeah. place. I don't know, but you know what? Happy returns to the couple. <laughs> I think they're going to have a great time. Exactly. I wonder if like like the security situation I'm sure it's like there's a lot more that has to go into having the event there. Like I'm, so I imagine much. there's like extra hassle. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, as I was trying to figure out how much it would cost, I was like Republicans will tally it up and let us know exactly yeah. how much. They'll figure it out. Ted Cruz will will show like We'll take out a big postcard and, and yeah, have this some is happening right around the midterms. You said yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. they definitely are gonna. We'll find out how much it costs. We'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> hey, American Fever Dream listeners! I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic. The next time you're searching for the perfect gift, now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Another thing bringing the White House some joy today is that three whole Republicans have decided to vote for the first black woman to join the Supreme Court after she proved herself qualified. This is, at least I was genuinely surprised that three of them came forward saying they were going to vote for her. I was surprised. I I was all I was surprised and then the more I thought about it not because I did feel like um a lot of the polling that came out of those hearings showed that Republicans looked bad, people didn't mm-hmm. really like it. And if I had to guess, I would say that Mitch McConnell would rather have the story be that there were three people that voted for her, especially since she was going to go on anyway, rather than give that moment to Kamala Harris and have her come in and break the tie. It's like, OK, we're going to release the four that we release sometimes <laughs> so that we don't look even more terrible because I, I do think they came out of that looking really petty and small and strange and obsessed with uh, mm-hmm. odd sexual things. So. Did you guys see that viral video of a voter in Iowa confronting Chuck Grassley about it? It was like, I mean, not to sort of like profile, but it was like your typical Midwest older Republican white guy. And he was saying to Chuck Grassley, he was like, I've always voted for you. I love Republicans. But what you did to her, you just bullied her around. And that was terrible. It was very like, so I think there's a lot to what you're saying, Lisa. I feel like last week I would have been more, before all of that polling came out and the reaction came out, I might have been more surprised by this. And to clarify, the three are the three we typically say, see, Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney and Susan Collins. And they all cited in their explanations her clear qualifications. There's nothing to vote against. The fact that this nomination is historic, they want to be part of that. 
And they all said they want to sort of be part of overcoming the politicized environment. This used to be a thing where if somebody was qualified, it wasn't such, there was not so much drama around it. There was not so much attempting to tank them. Usually these things were much more bipartisan. So they seem to have like the naive hope that their party will will endorse some sort of return to that. Yeah, it seems unlikely that this is like a big sea change in how Republicans like approach politics. <laughs> but, you don't think? Um, I do think all of your reasons you're outlining this strategy, it makes sense. But I also think like ultimately, if you're being nominated to be on the Supreme Court, you might be technically a Democrat or liberal, but you're probably still fairly conservative. I mean, to get to that position. So I think like, you know, people who are insisting she's going to be a radical voice of the left, like they know they're lying. <laughs> like, they know that they're lying. I mean, she's maybe offering some more balance to what we had, but that's not true. Yeah, I feel like you can be a lot more radically conservative as a judge than you true. can be like a radically liberal justice without people going, without someone stopping you as you move through. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there are examples of people who have been like activist judges in the way that Republicans Fear. mean it, but yeah. <laughs> but I feel like they don't get all the way to the top. We've got like several like radical right wing people <laughs> on the court right now. Yeah. Um, yeah so, power couple and, of the insurrection. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Insurrection power couple of the Thomases. Uh, yeah. So hopefully she'll be confirmed. I don't know if it's this week or sometimes sometime next week, but that will be a that will be a thrill to see. Very exciting. All right. So now let's talk about the pandemic. She is still here. She's still with us. Mm -hmm. well, were you, Elise, were you saying your allergies are so bad that you keep testing for COVID? Oh, I, yes. Well, so I got like, I had two of those, like the Binex packs that have two in them. So I've taken four tests. I actually <laughs> know that it's allergies, but I try to like do my due diligence as like right. a human to not spread the virus that still exists. But it's, <laughs> um, oh my God, it's like, I've been laid out mm -hmm. and I do feel bad because it, Ha does manifest in like I'm sneezing a lot I'm coughing a lot mm -hmm. like I feel like everywhere <laughs> that I go that is in public I have to be like no yeah. don't worry <laughs> I'm okay <laughs> yeah yeah exactly Republicans and Democrats have been sparring in recent weeks over authorizing additional funding to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. So at one point a couple weeks ago, $15 billion was in another packages, another package. Democrats balked at that because it was going to be funded by drawing money away from the states. And they were like, we're not going to do that trade-off. We need to find a fresh way to pay for this because that money for the states is needed. Um, but then we had a prolonged process where they were in limbo and the funding did dry out. This is what happened. The Biden administration had to cancel new orders for antiviral medications. The federal program that reimburses providers for testing and treating the uninsured, they stopped accepting new claims last week due to insufficient funds. And today, April 5th, is when they're going to stop taking those claims to vaccinate the uninsured as well, not just testing. Again, like I said, awesome. we were in limbo. <laughs> crazy. for Crazy. As I was reading this, it was like, it reminds me of like when you go to Target or like you go to CVS to buy Tylenol, you don't haggle. You're just like, I need this. This is what I need to treat my 
Like, yeah. why are we haggling over these things that we need? We need to vaccinate the uninsured. This is not a question. Yeah, one thing it made me think a lot about is how much misinformation about what you can do for free and can't do for free is constantly being circulated. Like, I read some viral tweet. Who knows if it's true, but it sounds like something completely happened. That yeah. people <laughs> went in to get a COVID test and were told that there's a chance that the insurance will receive the bill and right. not pay it, it and it'll become their responsibility. So they didn't get the test. And I think that kind of thing where you can't even get a straight answer about whether or not your test is going to be covered or your vaccination yes. is going to be covered it's just like preventing a lot of people from seeking care that they need or that would prevent the spread so it's really it's really bizarre yeah i um i always think back to the medicare for all book uh abdul dr abdul sayed who we've had on the podcast wrote it along with another man whose name i'm forgetting but like one of the things that he talks about in there is just how bloated our system is and how crazy how many hoops have to be jumped through to get care to a person and to get it paid for and all of that stuff and it feels like that's what we're seeing again now like just the implementation of a national health strategy and the funding of it has been so difficult for the U.S. during the pandemic. And I feel like a lot of that was easier for countries that just already provided health care through the government to all of their citizens for free. Uh, so we had to, like, figure out how to do that and uh, while also not really doing it and working within this psychotic system that we have now. Yeah, because if they did implement it in a functional way, the next question would be like, well, why can't we do this with cancer? Exactly. <laughs> why can't we do this with any disease? So they have to like yeah. keep it on the edge where it seems unmanageable, even though it could happen, it could be done. Yeah, I, I was having the same thought as Elise was talking. I was like, I, I, like, maybe the senators were like, they're getting too used to this. They're liking this, you so. gotta take it away. I generally think so. <laughs> Yeah. The Republicans don't really talk about overturning uh, Obamacare anymore just because people are so used to it. Like when you try to take things, when you try to take things away, they will they will react. Um, but as we know, with this Congress, it's like hard to really with Joe Manchin, it's hard to like present things as actually all Republicans felt. So we were in limbo for a while. That laps, lap, that funding did lapse. But Republicans and Democrats have come to an agreement on 10 billion dollars. Biden's original ask was 22 billion. Apparently, you can just haggle <laughs> over like things you absolutely what need. It, <laughs> and I know insurance companies like, yeah, they do haggle over medicine. But with the pandemic, like remember at the beginning of the pandemic, it was like we needed two trillion dollars. We just need it. And it was like, yeah, we definitely do. And this disease and virus are, are still with us, particularly one thing that is very irksome about this, this spending is that what they decided to cut was funding for global vaccination. USAID expects it will have to stop funding vaccination efforts in some African countries in the second half of the year if they don't get more cash from Congress. This round of funding also doesn't include enough money to vaccinate every American with a fourth booster. Now, right now, officials are not hugely suggesting that if you are young and healthy and are not around immunocompromised people or immunocompromised yourself. But that's because I believe BA2 is like, it's pretty similar to Omicron. It's like kind of a chill variant compared to what we've seen before. But if we get something else and that variant surges, we are in big trouble. And on this podcast, we react a lot to the Biden administration not being ready for things. And so I feel like this is at least a case where we see they're trying. They are trying to have things in place. And it seems like they're publicly broadcasting that they're making that attempt and they're being they're being stopped short. I mean, I can't stop hearing about like the White House all day yesterday. It's like, well, remember, we just we started with two billion. We just want to remind everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I I do feel like uh, a lot of what I was reading to like prep for the newsletter today was they were like, OK, well, we do have to pass this 10 billion right now because otherwise, like 
really, really important stuff is going to shut down. But they were talking about trying to pass the rest of it separately. But but that's, I feel like, also what we always hear. And then it doesn't get passed separately. So we shall see. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. it brought up for me, like, you're asking about um, how do we live in a world? We're just like in this world in America where individualism reigns so supreme that it's like this Mm -hmm. belief you can sort of protect yourself, protect your immediate family, but a virus makes it so clear how interconnected we are because there's just no way (laughs) to keep yourself safe and everybody else is falling down around you, you know? And that's just a big issue with how we culturally perceive self-care, healthcare. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. With individualism, that feels like a good place to pivot to your book, Amay. It's called The Lonely Hunter. Can you tell us about the book, why you decided to write it, what some of the themes are? Yeah, The Lonely Hunter, How Our Search for Love is Broken. It's sort of about how couplehood is kind of offered as the solution to societal loneliness. And there's a lot of reasons why that is. But I think the overarching theme is that a lot of the things that would alleviate loneliness would require huge social change. So it kind of just Mm -hmm. gets put on you like, oh, find a partner, start a family, have a kid. That will protect you. You'll get health insurance. You'll have someone to take care of you when you're old. Um, housing will be split between you. Like It's kind of like a social safety net almost. Mm-hmm. And it's also, yeah, very individualistic, right? It's like on you to be a partner who somebody wants to be desirable. And also to, <laughs> I think, in a lot of cases, settle for somebody who maybe isn't going to help you be happy, but is going to help you survive in this environment. So I think that happens a lot. And it's just like an easier conversation in a way because people become like, so like, what's wrong with me? What haven't I done right? And people who have successfully found a relationship, like kind of get the satisfaction of that, of being like, oh, I did all the right things, blah, blah, blah. But often it's luck, you know, or timing, Mm -hmm. proximity, whatever. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And and that's what I'm loving about the book is that I've never thought about it that way is that like we actually all collectively are like gaslit into thinking that just family values and entering a nuclear unit is what makes us like safe and happy. But part of what motivates that is just the chaos of the world that could be fixed through 
plenty of other means. Right, and that unit hasn't even really been around that long. It was kind of like this momentary time after World War II when like we could have a single um, income household, right? Where like one person could go and do all of that labor and the other person could stay at home. And it wasn't necessarily happy. Like there's a lot of reports of those types of families where the mom was like miserable and on mommy's yeah. little helper pills <laughs> to get through the day, yeah. right? But even I'm rewatching Mad Men, so <laughs> yes. And even before that, when marriage was the norm, it was you'd be a part of a big family, so like everyone would be helping yeah, okay. each other. And now it's like even people who are married and have two kids and are trying to maintain that structure often feel very isolated themselves. Like I don't think loneliness only belongs to single people at all. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like so around World War II is when there started being kind of like a vested interest of the political system to to sort of sh- shove people towards marriage and family. Yeah, and I think all the things we're seeing now around abortion are, and, you know, mm. kind of rolling back basic human rights, especially for mm-hmm, women, yeah. um, are, are about control. You know, they kind of want to make it impossible to have women have a public life, um, mm-hmm. to be out there in the world. But it's, you know, it can only backfire because it's just not possible to live on a single, you know, person income at this point in time, really, mm-hmm. for most yeah, of America. Yeah. yeah. So I was wondering, I mean, I'm sure, when did you write this book? Well, I actually sold the book in late 2018. Uh-huh. So I kind of wrote it over that year and I had to hand it in in early 2020. So it was like due, <laughs> it was due in like late April and I was just like, oh God, <laughs> like the pandemic hit. So it kind of changed yeah. my feelings about loneliness pretty dramatically. Yeah. Can you tell us how? Well, I think before when I was feeling lonely, I was feeling, you know, the struggle of being a single person. I'd been single for a long time. And the impetus for the start of the book was just talking, trying to talk about it with coupled people and feeling this pushback where I would say, I don't think I'm ever going to meet anybody. And they were basically denying that was possible. It was sort of like this insistence that everybody meets someone eventually. You'll have it when you least expect it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, why aren't we allowed to talk about this? Because there are so many single people. And that's been changing dramatically over the last... 10, 20 years. There are way more single people. People stay single until they're much older. So it's like, why do we still not talk about it? And I think that's just because couplehood keeps being pushed as the ultimate solution to all our issues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like thinking about how society sometimes frames, you know, older people who are single and not because they're like widowed as just like, oh, it's sad. It's like, well, why is it sad? It's not actually sad that they, if they're like, they're a single person in the world, it's sad because the way that we all like derive like value from certain parts of society is from like being partnered. Yeah, it's only sad if that person is feeling sad about it. Like if the person really like is looking to, I don't know. Or they like can't afford insurance because they can't get a good rate because they don't have a partner. Like it's not the outside world's like job to designate another person as being sad if they're not actually sad about what their situation is. Yeah, and I guess I also try not to think of it too much emotionally. Like, sometimes I'm sad about being single. Sometimes I'm really happy. A lot of the time I don't, like, talk about it or think about it as being Mm -hmm. the primary identity I have. Um, And when I try to talk about the way singlehood is bad, it's mostly about how it's systemically bad, how it's, like, forced on you that it's bad. Um, Or even just, like, social conventions, like having a bunch of friends who are in couples who have parties but don't invite a single person to join for dinner or something. Like, that happens a lot. It's really weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a social thing. Um, But, yeah, when you brought up health insurance, that's definitely an issue. And I think it shows how coercive relationships can be, actually, where it's like a lot of people have gotten married because they just wanted to get the health insurance. Like, 
why is the person you who you've guaranteed to love and have sex with your whole life? <laughs> why does that have anything to do with your ability to access healthcare? Yeah. Were there any other themes of your book that really came into focus during the pandemic in terms of like structural systemic issues that face single people just because they are not partnered? Um, I thought a lot about housing for me because yeah, um, housing costs are often split between people who are in relationships in a very different way. Um, housing discrimination exists against single people, single women in particular. If you're buying housing, you're likely to spend more and sell it for less than a man would. Yikes. Um, but I also just thought the like total isolation was so different from the loneliness I felt before. Because before I could go on dates, I could go to parties, I could hang out with friends. Like I had a community. The pandemic made loneliness of that time before seem like very quaint and wholesome in a way. <laughs> like <laughs> pandemic loneliness was profound. Mm -hmm. And I had a few other friends who were single. I remember one of them telling me, being like, I have not heard anything from my coupled friends. And you know, not all couple oh, people, God. but yeah. she's like, no one has checked in. Cause like not being mm -hmm. able to hug anybody or like sit on the couch with someone is really hard for such a long duration of time. Yeah. That was what I thought about when you were giving that timeline, because I, I, I've, you know, one of the aspects of the book is like, you went on a bunch of dates and like you were going, you were going out a lot. It seems like in the lead up to, uh, the pandemic because you were writing this book and because you were basically studying like loneliness and all of this stuff. So it must have been a really big switch from going on lots of dates to being like, I cannot meet anyone and I don't know when I will meet anyone again. Oh yeah. And I don't know how you all felt during Omicron this last winter, but I, in a way that almost hit me harder than the first lockdown. Cause I was really? like, Oh yeah. my God, here we are again. Yeah. How am I ever going to meet anyone? If that's what I want, like, it's just so impossible unless you're being really irresponsible, which maybe I will be eventually. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, you can't guarantee that the other person would be what sort of definition of loneliness were you working with as you were writing the book and did that change or evolve with the pandemic or as you were doing it i didn't necessarily have a definition of loneliness i was trying to um, explore why singleness and loneliness are so often used synonymously because i don't think being single mm -hmm. means being lonely but every time i would talk about being lonely it would come back to me being single so i'm like why are they Got so it. like totally intertwined with one another and i've also found that a lot of people in couples are very lonely because we're like really shut off from community in a larger way like we're discouraged from having relationships outside of our romantic runs and i think we're asked to like make our partner everything to us like your lover your roommate your co-parent your best friend like that's just kind of too many responsibilities for one person and it's not actually normal in human history for that one person to carry so much we all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and a 
of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Well, one topic that I think sort of like plays into this, you mentioned that there is a connection here to like women's rights and women's ownership over their body. So we talked about discussing this story today. Uh, we're going to talk about some narcs in Alabama who want to make women <laughs> take a take a pregnancy test before getting medical marijuana. I would have to be stoned to go to Alabama, but okay. Alabama <laughs> senators approved. Don't come for me, Alabama listeners. You probably liked that anyway. Alabama senators approved a controversial bill in a committee, this is just in committee, that would require women of, quote, childbearing age to show proof that they're not pregnant in order to buy medical cannabis products from dispensaries. I assume this means lesbians. I assume this means, well, it's actually, it's ages 25 to 50. So it's not like young, young girl. I guess they're not going to dispensaries anyway. This rule was proposed by a man who is an OBGYN. And you're like, good old Clearview pregnancy test isn't going to cut it here for your medical cannabis. You'd have to get a pregnancy test ordered by a physician. And I personally don't know any way to get a pregnancy test from your doctor that doesn't involve a blood draw, right? I don't remember if I've done that. I don't know if the law said that, but like when I've gotten pregnancy tests at the doctor, you get like a a straight up blood test. I think I've peed in a cup for a doctor. I think it was a pee in a cup situation or they looked up the canal and were like, nope, don't see anything. Okay. Fair, fair, (laughs) fair. I retract saying that Alabama is needlessly taking young women's blood. (laughs) (laughs) They're like vampiric. They're vampires. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just throwing that out there, unvetted, didn't check out there. So fine, you can pee in a cup, but it's so fucking annoying to have to go to the doctor to pee in a cup to get your medical cannabis, and you'd have to wait then 48 hours. And I assume this happens every time you want to get your medical cannabis. This is apparently a constitutional violation. It violates the Fourth Amendment, other 14th Amendment. Other states have tried it, and they've dropped the effort because of the pushback. And like I said, this has only been voted out of committee. There's so much here that about pregnancy and cannabis that is like so rife for discussion. Um, It's obviously very like risky to like potentially test positive for it while you are pregnant and wanna be pregnant and it can even be like criminalized in some areas, but it's kind of a different conversation, but there are, you know, some people that that use it early in pregnancy because the first trimester can be so rough. um, And if you have like hyperemesis or whatever, like the medicine that they give you for it apparently makes you very depressed. So there's a lot more conversation just around pregnancy and weed anyway, that even makes this, this law just even more 
even more irrelevant. But Amy, Amy, how does it tie into some of the, the themes you were talking about? Well, if we're talking about control, I think this is like just another way to not let women or if people have any autonomy over their body. Like, <laughs> you can't. And also, it's like so specific. Any. It's so specific. I mean, no one is checking to see if you're pregnant by alcohol or cigarettes. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like why? This guy was just like, I don't like this law. Right? It's prescribed. It's from a doctor. What if you have glaucoma? Like, you need, <laughs> you need to smoke your weed. I don't know. Yeah. And like I said, like, there are, this is very controversial, but there are some times where a doctor will not advise you against using weed if if what could happen to you otherwise is, like, so uncomfortable. Like, there are, it's, it's fascinating to me. That's why I keep, like, going into it. Like, pregnancy really, for good reason, always centers the fetus. But to the extent that like nobody's thinking about mom and how miserable how miserable she is, so it just theoretically there could be a doctor in Alabama who gave cleared a pregnant person to use medical cannabis to treat nausea. Mm -hmm. But according to this OBGYN who is in the state senate, no, thank you, well, you can't do also that. Like not, a way not for me. To criminalize people who are pregnant more because I think there's already so many laws that can come down on you if you say miscarry by accident or something. Like you could still be arrested and totally. jailed for a miscarriage. This is like another way to like add on to the charges of somebody who maybe would lose a baby or whatever mm -hmm. could happen to her. Yeah, it it feels like another trap. Like it just feels like another thing to throw in the way of women who are seeking medical care to catch a woman unawares and pregnant and yeah. you know yeah. maybe do something bad to her mm -hmm. like and then if she's not pregnant what, was, what happens to her like this is what i was thinking like, because like no chance alabama doesn't have a trigger abortion ban ready to go no yeah. chance oh so, absolutely so, like i don't know what their abortion situation is there but it feels very like I don't know. People use medical marijuana for a lot of things, but the number one thing that I've personally heard of people using it for are like tr cancer treatments to like deal with mm -hmm. the um, the nausea and the feeling and like the pain and all that stuff that goes along with cancer treatments. So it just feels really crazy to me to think about like a cancer patient wanting to use medical marijuana then finding out in the doctor's office that she's pregnant but she's beyond the legal limit in Alabama to be pregnant so now it, and it's like what like I don't know it just feels like it's creating another impossible situation for some woman to find herself yeah, in she should have just married a man she'd be financially dependent on for the rest of her life and not be able to leave if he does anything to her I also just think it's really popular to criminalize any interaction with marijuana and like he's specifically yeah. talking about medical marijuana which is pretty much legal everywhere at this point so he's yeah. like trying to like put more legal ramifications on something that's been he legalized said that. yeah mm -hmm. and he was basically like, just like we need something and it's amazing it's really telling that the first thing that they reach for is is criminalizing pregnancy in some way yeah and i also think criminalization in general like that's a big aspect to loneliness like incarceration in this country is so astronomically um high and it affects people's lives even after they've been released like you can be a formerly incarcerated person and be unable to get a job be outlawed outlawed from specific housing like and that creates like enormous amounts of isolation and separation for people it, like will ruin your life forever I'm sure in your book I was going to ask like did you sort of cover and look into like the physical like symptoms like how loneliness can actually impact your health and well-being I do talk about that but one of the things that I try to stress is that 
the idea of a loneliness epidemic, I think it's very popular to like pathologize loneliness and almost treat it like it's a disease. I think that connects back to the kind of individualistic thing where we're expected to take care of our own health. So it's like on you if you're sick with loneliness. Yeah. But a lot of the things that get described as like the physical effects of loneliness are people who are like homebound because they have actual physical health problems. They have to migrate all the time. They have no stable housing. Um, you know, they're in poverty basically. And like you can't really separate those things from loneliness and being like, oh, it's loneliness that's making you sick, not having no yeah. home. <laughs> you know yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so it kind of gets put under this umbrella. Right. No, he's not unhappy. He's just unhappy because he's lonely. No, he's unhappy because he's in solitary confinement. That's yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Because he's being yeah. abused. Um. Yeah. Was there anything that came up kind of like in culture or society after you submitted your book that you would absolutely add to like a reprint to explore? I think that so many people have been writing about loneliness since my book came out. And I, maybe it's just because my book's now out there. So I'm hearing from all these other authors who've written about it from different perspectives. Uh, I think people are talking a lot more about dating apps right now because, I, I mean, I know you're both in long-term relationships, but I got to say, people on dating apps are absolutely waking out right now. People are being yeah. so weird. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. There's a lot of discussion about it. And there's also been this rise of, like, the idea of single positivity, which I've only started to hear about kind of recently, even though I'm sure it's been going on for a long time. Like people are kind of trying to rebrand positive, like singleness and being like, we gotta be positive about it. And I'm like, well, what would a marriage positivity movement look like? <laughs> like we already kind yeah. of have it where you're like, insist it's insisted that you get right. married, right? So it implies that being singleness is automatically negative and you kind of have to be positive about it and put a cheery face on yeah. it. So just being like, oh, it's just and a it, state yeah. of being. It seems like it forces you to inherit it as like an identity. And if you don't want to do that or feel that, it's like, like I don't walk around like I am number one. I am an engaged woman. <laughs> yeah, I am Jewish. I, it's, right. No, if, if, if anybody ever, ever tried to like force, you know, like relationship pride on me, that would be quite bizarre. Yeah, it would be really bizarre. But I think it's mostly because like that's the supreme state of being, right? It's like the most validated existence you can have in terms of relationships. But I feel like only single people are asked to either be like, I'm miserable, I can't wait to meet somebody, or like, totally. I'm happy and this is the best way to be and you all suck. Like, I don't feel that way. I yeah. think there's many different ways to feel about being single or in a relationship. Yeah, it feels like some... It, it, like society wants you to remain you can't be neutral about it and just be like well I'm single right now because that's how it is right now but maybe I would meet someone or maybe I won't you know and it really proves all of the things you were saying before that like our society rewards ending up in a partnership because people are like oh no you either have to re be regretfully single or have decided that it's like somehow worth it you've overcome all of like the dread with it when really it can just be you no know, shit's fine yeah like, I mean, very we common. have body neutrality now. We need single neutrality yeah. for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This was a fascinating discussion. I mean, where can people uh, read more of your writing or find your social or where you're exploring these ideas more? Uh, my Instagram is AA Lutkin, uh, Twitter at AA Lutkin. So I like to keep things confusing, A Lutkin. Yes. And um, you can <laughs> find my book anywhere The Lonely Hunter, How Our Search for Love is Broken. It's sold in bookstores online. And I'd love to hear from you. I've had a lot of people who I don't know reach out to me, and that's always so fun. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. That is our show. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. And this is the Betches the Podcast. Bye. 
The Betches Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.